I hope everyone had a really great lunch um, and that you have been enjoying this conference so far. Um, I just want to uh, introduce our final speaker, um, Reverend Greg Lucas. Um, I actually just call him Greg. <laughs> uh, we actually work together at our organization in East Harlem and the South Bronx and soon Newark. Uh, we work for a youth development organization um, that works with kids from pre-K all the way through college. Um, and Greg, he actually runs our South Bronx site. Uh, of all of our kids, and he's very involved with our community up there, um, building a lot of relationships, and also in Newark to make sure that, um, you know, wherever we do our work, uh, the communities uh, receive us well, and we're providing the services that they need. Um, so when I was, um, when, I, when Greg came along into the organization, uh, somehow I found out that he was a pastor um, as his, like, side gig. <laughs> And um, he just has this amazing presence about him, um, even though he actually tries to downplay his <laughs> being a pastor in the organization. Um, everyone in the organization knows that um, he's a man of integrity and he um, really just uh, exudes uh, like positiveness and just love and care to everyone that works with him. So I was drawn to that. Um, and I just went right up to him and was like, hey, I heard you're a pastor. <laughs> Let's talk about church. Um, so then, and then after that, God really provided a lot of opportunities for us to uh, work together in uh, different leadership committees as well as um, diversity and, and inclusion initiatives in our organization. So we've gotten a lot of uh, opportunities to just um, learn more about each other. And um, I was able to ask him to also come here because... Um, I think he just is such a good example of uh, being a Christian in the workplace and also uh, within the community. So I think he has a lot to share uh, with us today. So uh, without further ado, Greg Lucas. Yeah. Oh, let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you for this time together, God. Lord, it is such... Uh, a blessing, Lord, to, to come together for uh, a topic like this, Lord God. And um, I, I pray that you would just bless everyone who didn't consider it robbery to be in this space today. And Lord God, you've called us to be used by you, Lord God, to be your hands and your feet. And we're just so thankful for the opportunity to hear and to learn. God, we pray for continued open hearts and open minds, Lord, to hear what you would have to say, God. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this body. Lord, continue to have your way in and through them, Lord God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, thank you, Hannah. Uh, thank you, Pastor Eugene. Um, I feel like I have to do a little bit of house cleaning first, um, which is uh, I was, I was uh, messing with uh, Pastor because I told him that I went on the, on the Facebook website and that um, on the Facebook website, it says that you know one of the speakers is going to be George Lucas. And uh, for those of you that were really excited to hear George Lucas talk about Christ in the community, because I'm not going to lie, like, I would have been supremely excited to hear that. Like, I'm, I'm really, like, really sorry to disappoint you. I am not George Lucas. And I, I also kind of think it would be weird for him to even talk about this, right? Like, I don't even know, like, can you evangelize and, like, use Jedi mind tricks? I feel like that's not right. Like, I know there's a few people here who, like, appreciate old Star Wars reference. I've earned some cool points, and there's some people who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. 
but I'm sorry I'm not George Lucas, so please bear with me. Um, we're gonna get through this together. Uh, I probably won't be too long. I think a lot of what needed to be said was said, and I'm really excited for that. Even like a lot of the scripture references, I mean like it was amazing. And uh, uh, the speakers so far have just been so awesome. My mind has been blown. I have a whole page full of notes, so I'm really glad uh, that I'm here. I'm a little disappointed that, you know, I am here standing behind two amazing speakers so far. And, you know, the fact that I am not a funny Korean pastor <laughs> or I am not like this super cool world traveling DJ who has a British accent. Like, I felt like I am definitely significantly under the bar right now. And then for anybody who's ever spoken at a conference, they know that the slot after lunch is called the death slot, right? So, like, like, huge, Black Lives Matter too, right? Like, come on, bro. <laughs> come on. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, maybe not, social justice, all good. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, what we've been trying to do today is to really contextualize what this call on our lives means as, an, as individuals and as a church body, right? And so there's a, 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 I wanted to talk a little bit about what we do at work because I think that there's, there's a relation, a, a Hannah, who I work with, who I quickly came to realize, and I'm sure her husband could have told me this in advance, it's really hard to say no to Hannah. Um, and so that's why I'm here. Because um, you, you just can't say no to Hannah for some reason. She's, relentless in, in a quiet kind of way. And I also think it's really interesting that like, you know, my relationship with Hannah is like one that I would say, like when I first got to that office, when I first joined the dream organization, Hannah wasn't necessarily somebody that I would have said to myself, oh, there's somebody I'm gonna be really go good friends with, right? Like we were like not really like the same person. Like I kind of loud at work, like, get to know everybody's name, everybody knows me, Hannah's like really much more subdued and quiet. Like we didn't seem like we would be someone, we would be two people who would connect the way that we have. And I think that's also kind of like an opportunity to say like, look how God like orchestrates relationships when we allow him to do that. And I think uh, over time, like our relationship has been able to flourish and we've been able to talk, work well, you know, together at work, but then also like begin to like really talk about ministry and grow and things like that. And so I think that that's been like really awesome. And I also think it's really kind of like uh, uh, symbolic for what we're talking about today in terms of being open to what God has for you. You know, I think that there are people that maybe you experience in life, in your workplace and things like that, who you may not necessarily think might, there might be an opportunity there. But you know, when you avail yourself to the Lord, like he will open doors that you may not have known had even existed, right? And so that's what I'm hoping today that, that one is that we leave here like really open for the Lord to use us in whatever capacity that he has in mind for us because there are opportunities everywhere we go. You know, I'm looking across this room and if I were to ask like how many of you, like by a show of hands, how many of you guys work at the same place? No one, everybody here essentially works in different places. Most of you, I'm assuming, live in different households. And so there, there is a reason why like church being scattered is so important, right? Like within this room alone, like the network is probably in the thousands. When you begin to think about the lives that you impact, the lives that you impact, you will, get, you will meet people that your pastor will never meet, right? And so the network, the ability, the reach that we have 
as children of God is so much larger than, than just the people in this room. And so how do we begin to really tap into that and understand what God's call for us is in this time? And so what I want to do is I just want to share a scripture that I think is really relevant for this time and for this space. And I just want that scripture to be the backdrop um, for, you know, the rest of the time that we're together. And that is um, Ephesians 2.10, uh, uh, 1 through 10, which talks about, um, gosh, let me see if I can remember it off the top of my head. As for you, you were dead in your transgression, transgressions and sins in which you used to follow the ways of this world and the kingdom of the ruler of the air and the spirit which is now at work in those that are disobedient. We too at one time uh, uh, lived among you, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its thoughts and desires. By nature, we were deserving of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ while we were yet dead in our transgressions and sins. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that he, he may show in the coming ages the incomparable riches of his grace shown to us through his kindness in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. It is not of yourselves, but it is a gift from God. It is not by work so that no one can boast. For you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's Ephesians uh, uh, 2, 1 through 10. And I think that that scripture is so relevant for this time because, you know, I think to, to, to talk about the beginning of that scripture, you know, that scripture is really saying like, you know, it's identifying with the people who live outside of Christ, right? Like, like we were once those people, right? And I think it's, it's, there was a time when you and I lived outside of hope. There was a time when you and I lived without the grace and the mercy afforded to us through the finished work of the cross. There was a time where we too were like that. There was a time where we lived gratifying the sinful desires of our flesh. And I think it's important for us to understand that because uh, uh, when, when we come into the family of God, it's not so that we can look at this world as kind of like uh, 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 we're better than them or we've joined this elite club, but we need to understand that there are people who are still living apart from the grace of God, right? And that should, that should, that should be something that we would want to have a desire to reach out to those folks because I was once there. I remember my life outside of Christ. I remember the things that I'd relied on to make to, to try and fill me with joy that were never going to fill my life with joy. And so I kept trying to fill and fill and fill and put and put and put and push and push and push things into my life because I didn't have a relationship with Christ. And so I tried. I tried education. I tried women. I tried anything that I could do to try to make myself feel whole because I was missing the creator who created me. Right? And I think it's important for us to understand that this is the world and these are the, th this is what the world is experiencing who don't have a relationship with Christ. Right? But how does that manifest itself in terms of how we live as the church? You know, it's funny because I, I was talking to Jessica just recently. Everybody's picking on Jessica today. I don't know what it is. But she brought on herself because she introduced herself to me. So we were talking about she works at a charter school. We started talking about like work in, in a charter school and I started talking to her about like I do community engagement work 
at the company that we work for, Hannah and I. And one of the big knocks, and, and anybody's a teacher here or is familiar with the education kind of like landscape right now, one of the biggest um, um, criticisms of charter schools is that there are these like privately owned and operated schools that are essentially coming into communities and like educating youth generally in like low um, uh, 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 economically disadvantaged areas and like essentially like creating what that educational experience is gonna be for them, but without really like giving context to the fact that they're in these communities, right? That they're just setting down these schools in these, in these areas and that they're dictating what the education experience is gonna be. And people are like, that's not, that's not equitable for young people that you're privatizing school in this way. Like you're not even getting to know the community. You're just plopping down your school with an agenda. Now in most cases, a lot of charter schools, because if they're privately run, a lot of times that they'll have more funding than say a district or a public school. So they might have a lot of the bells and whistles that another school might not have. So sometimes they're like these big pretty buildings in the middle of an impoverished neighborhood, but, they have, but people in the neighborhood generally have no access to the building. Right? And so uh, education is happening in a very siloed way. Right? And so that's a big criticism because you know, people are saying like, that's not how you educate young people. Like the school should feel like it's a piece of the community. People should feel like they have access to school, that they have access to teachers, that they have access to principals, that they can have an opportunity to know what's happening in the school and that they can inform what happens in the school that's educating their kids. But the biggest criticism is that they're privatized. And so as we engage in this conversation around charter schools versus district schools and so on, I see a lot of parallels with the church, right? And, and you could make the same argument that our churches are very siloed, that our churches have become these places that exist in these communities, but they very much exist in and of themselves, right? And that beyond, outside of the community, whatever's happening in here feels very much as a fortress to what's happening outside, right? Like there's, there's no opportunity for people to feel like they're connected with what's happening in the church, right? And if there's something that I know is as somebody who, who uh, pastors at a church in Harlem, there's a lot of churches in Harlem. And I can tell you in Harlem, you know, the church knows how to be the church really well but the church knows how to be the church in the church, right? But the church doesn't really know how to be the church outside of the church. But the reality is, is that's where we need the church. Like sometimes our churches run like a well-oiled machine. Your deacons take minutes, you have flawless, maybe your, your, your usher board, everything can move like a, like a well-oiled machine, but your church is really good at being the church in the church, but your church is needed outside the church. And how can we be better at being the church in the larger community, right? And so I think like we need to begin to think more about what is our role in the community. You know, I think about what that means about taking our church beyond this place, right? I'm a, I'm a really crazy dude. Like I, I, I love science fiction, like that's my thing. You know, I was talking about Star Wars just now. And the other day I was watching like a zombie. My wife hates that I even watch zombie movies. I'm into zombie movies, right? And I love watching The Walking Dead. Anybody, any Walking Dead fans here? Don't raise your hand. I just um, <laughs> let me just be embarrassed for all of us. I really like zombie stuff. So, like, I was watching like uh, The Walking Dead. Show. I was watching the finale, and sometimes my mind wanders because I'm weird that way. And I start to think, what would I be like in a zombie apocalypse? 
right? Like, if I was alive and like a bunch of my friends were alive, but there was like zombies all over the place, like what kind of dude would I really be? Like, what, like would I really turn crazy and be fiendish? And, and then I, I, I raised the stakes a little bit. I was like, what if I lived in a zombie apocalypse with a, with, with a few of my friends and I also had the cure to cure zombies? Would I do it? Because now think about it now, if there's a lot of zombies, that means that there's like essentially more access for me to do things because there's people that are living a zombie life and they're not taking advantage of things. So like maybe I might wanna like, you know, take advantage and live in a nicer place because like zombies are zombies and I don't have to change them. Would I feel like obligated to change people? Would I, if I had the cure, right? Like what would I do in a zombie apocalypse? Like what kind of church would I be in the zombie apocalypse, right? Like, my mind is crazy, bear with me, it's crazy, we just had lunch. But I think about these things, right? Like, I, I think about these things a lot. I think about, like, what kind of church, because really, like, the, the people who have not received Christ are not alive. There, there is no, they have no life in Christ, right? They, essentially, they are the walking dead, right? And, and what are we doing? Like, how does that impact us in a way that we feel like obligated to do something about that. You know, the, the other part that I love in the scripture that we were reading, it's like, it's uh, 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 the scripture says that you have not been saved by grace, but it is a gift, right? And I think most of us as Christians would, would probably agree with this idea that salvation is a gift. Like we, we agree with it from like, from, from like a biblical perspective, we would say it's the gift of salvation, but how do we treat gifts, right? How do you treat a gift? Like if you had something that was a gift that you can gift to other people, like how would that motivate you if you had access to a gift that you can give to other people, right? Because if, 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 if we've been gifted the grace of salvation, but we don't, we don't extend that gift to someone else, like is it really a gift? Is it, do we think that it's a gift that's worth sharing? Do we think that it's a gift that's worth giving to the people that we work with, to the people that we live with, to the people that we see in our everyday lives? Or do we think that like this gift, like if it's really a gift, if it's really a gift, then it should have some value. And, and, and we didn't make up that word, right? That word is in the scripture. It's, 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 it's said that it's given to us as a gift, right? Like that's not a word that we have, have thought up in our minds. Right, like that's the, the, the scriptures declare that that is a gift of God. How do we treat that gift? Like, do we selfishly try to hoard the gift of salvation, or do are we actively looking to find opportunities to give to people, or are we like trying to live like essentially like like some type of church that operates more like a country club, where we make an amazing experience for for ourselves in here, but beyond that we have little impact, right? Like we're like the the Church of Mar-a-Lago or, or, or something. Or maybe that's probably too soon. We probably shouldn't. It's too soon. It's too soon to, to, to talk about that stuff. But, you know, I think that it's important for us to understand. I think one common theme that we've been hearing all morning is that, like, this is, this is a, a biblical mandate um, for us to spread the gospel. Like, this is not a choice and it's not an option. It's not something that is left for your pastor or your senior leaders but it's, it's the call on all of us to go out and make a change for Christ, right? And, and what kind of gospel are we preaching when we live a life in like a country club church setting, right? It, we, we create this gospel that would suggest that somehow 
you know, uh, 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 the gospel is a very exclusive message, right? That only some people have access to it, right? That only some people have the opportunity to receive it. You know, if, if, if you could get here, then maybe you can have access to the gift. But, you know, when you read the scriptures, you know that, that God's gift is, is an inclusive gift. It's the most inclusive gift in the entire world. But are we treating it like it's an inclusive gift? In Romans 1.14, it says, For I have an obligation to all people, to the civilized and to the savage, to the educated and to the ignorant. We have, an, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel to all people not just what's happening here. And can I be honest with you? Like, when you guys are, like, evangelizing, like, the church is probably the worst place that you can evangelize in, right? Like, there's not, the, the, the harvest field is not that plentiful in here, right? Like, you can go ahead and, and minister to one of the deacons and try to lead them to Christ. I mean, you, you, you can if that's your thing, but, like, this, this harvest field is, is pretty barren. Right. So like trying to minister in the church is not going to bear much fruit. Right. And there's a reason why you guys are here. And I love, you know, Pastor Rick, Rich said it so beautifully about this is the place where you come to recharge and to get sent out. Right. And I, 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 I equate the church with the locker room. This is where you guys come. We're all teammates. And you come here on Sunday or Wednesday, whenever Bible study is, and together we read what the game plan is in the word. And we, we, we get encouraged about the game plan. And here's the thing, on the team, everybody has different positions. And everybody doesn't do the same thing on the field. Everybody has a different function on the field. However, we come here on Sunday and we huddle up and we talk about the game plan, we remind ourselves about the strategy of the word, we listen to our coach giving us direction and what we're gonna do, we huddle up, we, we, we reinvigorate, we recharge, we get excited, and then we break, and we're supposed to go out into the field, right? But what do we do, right? We get together, we huddle, we talk about the, the game plan, we, 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 we study it, we, we know what our positions are, and we say break, and we stay in the locker room. And we don't leave the locker room. And so no one gets on the field and nothing happens on the field because we stay in the locker room. But if we stay in the locker room, we'll never experience like this, all this, all this strategy, all this game plan, all the X's and O's, all the preparation is for the game. It's not for the locker room. You know, if a team just continue to talk more over and over and over about strategy, about the game plan, about execution, but they never actually took the field, I would argue, are they even a team? Are they even equipped to play? If we stay in this locker room, when are we ever gonna take the field? When are we ever going to do the things that we've been called to do? The locker room is great to receive instruction. The locker room is great for training, right? The locker room is great to get us stronger. The locker room is great for rest but the locker room is just a place for that. And then we're supposed to transition out onto the field. And if we're not transitioning out on the field, then we cannot be effective as athletes for the Lord. We can't, we'll, we'll never take the field and we'll never um, make a difference. You have to get out on the playing field. The reality is, is that the scripture in Ephesians says it so clearly, he says, at the end of the day, all of this happened, like I saved you not by, not by works so that no one can boast. I saved you 
so that in the coming ages, I might show the incomparable riches of my grace. So you are the representation of all the, the wonderful things that God has done for us. But if no one can see it, how is God supposed to get his glory? Right? God is supposed to get his glory. That's why we're here. God is supposed to get his glory. And, and here's the thing. We all know, right? Like we all read the script. We all know that we're, we are going to see our father again. Do we live like we know that we're going to see him again? Right? Because if we live like we're going to see him again, what do we want his response to us to be? Let me tell you, I'm married, right? And sometimes my wife will leave the house and she'll say, when I, can you just please vacuum the rug and do the dishes before I get back? Now, I know that when she gets home and it's not done, like, I'm not going to say I'm in trouble because, like, I'm the man. Like, I'm not going to say I'm in trouble. <laughs> She's not going to leave. Watch this. Okay, I'm going to get in trouble. And sometimes, like, I will wait until I hear the wheels coming into the driveway and I will jump up and I'll pull the vacuum out, and I say, like, I can't vacuum in time, but at least if I leave the vacuum on top of the rug, it'll look like I was about to get to it, and I'll run to the kitchen. Y'all gotta pray for me. Like, y'all really have to pray for me, because this is what happens, like, right? But my, the expectation is, is that when, she, when, I, when I come together with her, that I will have done the things that she's asked me to do, right? And I love her, and I want to honor her, and I want to make sure that when she sees me, that she knows that I was able to do the things that she set forth for me to do. And I wonder, I'm like, we're going to see our father again. We're going to come face to face with him again, right? And, 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 and we're going to see him, and he's going to know our life and how it was lived out and what we did with the time that we had while we were here, right? And did we use it, you know, and what are we going to tell him? Lord, I spent all this time in the locker room. You saw the countless hours I put in the gym at Bible study. You saw all the hours I listened to the coach talk to me over and over about the game plan. But he's going to say, but you never played. You never took the field. You never did anything on the field in my name. And I don't want that for you, and I definitely don't want that for me. Right? But here's the thing. Like, God... We're not going to hear his tires pulling into the driveway, right? Like, it's weird. Like, we're not, we're not going to do that. Like, those wheels can pull into the driveway at any given moment. He's going to show up, right? But we have to live, like, with intentionality that we want to be the people that he's called to do the things that he's called us to do so that people might see us and know the incomparable riches of his grace because they're seeing. And listen, it's not that people get impressed by you. Right? It's that people are like, God did that for you? Right? Like, I'm not going to lie. Listen, I am not all that in a bag of chips. I try to front like I am to my wife, and she shuts me down all the time. But the thing is, is that, like, I know my life. I know that, that I, too, was a sinner in need of a savior. I know that I satisfied the, 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 the cravings of my flesh. I know my mind was wicked. I know that my, my, my mind needs to be renewed every single day. I know about my flesh, and I know what God is doing in me every day. I know that he restores me. I know that he renews me. I know that he gives me peace and joy. And I know who I was apart from him. So I have a desire to constantly allow God to shine through me. And I love that concept of be the light 
of, 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 of not being, but just letting the light shine. You don't have to work hard to be the light. And that's amazing. You know, the only thing that gets in the way of us letting the light shine is us. That's it. It's us. There's no other greater distraction than us getting in the way of letting God's light shine through us. And he's just asking us to be a light, to be a representation of his goodness, his grace, his mercy. He's not asking us to be flamethrowers, right? Like he, the light is the light. He's already established it, right? He's not asking us to do those things. And whatever God is asking us to do, because he is asking us to do things, right? He told us, he told us that, you know, he prepared works in advance for us to do. So no one here, no, no one here should leave thinking they don't have anything to do, right? Like if there's one thing you should leave here is to understand that we all have a mandate and that there is, there is works that God created in advance. But the wonderful thing I love about the scripture is that he said that we were created in Christ Jesus. And that's, that, that, is, that is the difference maker right there, right? Is that whatever the thing that he's called us to do, he's already given us the power and the strength to do it through Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that will work in and through us to do anything that he's called us to do. If you're doing something right now that you feel is within your capacity to do, it's not what God has called you to do. That's not, God doesn't do that. He doesn't give you things that he knows that you have the power to do. He's going to give you things that are bigger than yourself. All throughout the Bible, he was giving people things to do that were bigger than themselves. If God gives you something to do and you're like, that sounds crazy, it's probably, that's probably the Lord calling you to do something, calling you to step out on faith and allow the Holy Spirit to use you so that nobody's impressed with you, but people are impressed with what God is doing through you. If God is, if, if you're feeling like people are called, if you're feeling called to do something that you can do on your own, that's not, that's not, that's not God's best for you. God wants you to do things that you cannot do on your own. God wants to be able to show what he can do through you when you make yourself available to him. And that's what really, that's really what we're talking about today is being used and making ourselves avail, available um, to him. And understanding that we have an obligation to be that light to all people right, to all people, and th let me tell you, I struggle with this a lot, you know, my wife is, uh, she works for, for a guy, and he's an older man, he's a cranky old Jewish guy, right, he's a CEO, and she's a COO, so she always has to listen to everything he says, and nobody likes going to him, so they always go to her to dump on her, and he literally, these are literally things that come out of his mouth, next year, I don't think we should let people take the day off for Christmas, that's, like, that's literally something that comes out of his mouth, right? Like, th that's how he feels. And when we pray, right, like I pray with my wife and I'm like, Lord, you know, help us to, like, get through this difficult season. Help us to, like, give my wife the strength to endure this work environment. And I'm like, I have already in my mind, like, uh, uh, made the thought of him receiving Christ, like, invalid. Like, I've already excluded him from the gift. I have never, I'll tell you, I never prayed the prayer of salvation for him. Like, I never said, Lord, I pray that he would come to know you as Savior. Like, I've never said that. Because in my mind, I'm like, he's an old Jewish dude. Like, he's not giving his life to the Lord, right? And imagine if God would have done that with any of us, right, who were, who were lost in our sin to say, this person's hopeless, Right. And so that's something that I'm telling you, I'm being very honest with you, that I've done. Right. Is that I've excluded people from the gospel. 
right? But God said, go into all the world and pro proclaim the gospel, right? And it's, it's, not, it's not for us to convert people. That's not our job, right? But we will sow the seed and let God do what he does. But, you know, I think, have there been people, think about it in your life, think about the people that you come into contact with, the people that you work with, the people that you go to the gym with, the people that you take classes with. Are there people in your mind already that you've excluded from the gospel, that you've already eliminated the, even the thought? Now, can, can they still come to know Christ? Absolutely, right? But, like, what if there was an opportunity that God was going to use you to minister to someone? And you've excluded yourself from the opportunity to be used by him. And I wouldn't want that for you, and I don't want that for myself. I, I want you to think about that. Are there people in your life that have, that like, have you have already thought in your mind, there's no way? Even in my own family, there are people who I said, no way. There's no way. I'm not even going to bother, like, talking about the gospel. And you know what is what really sucks is that I had an aunt who is, like, had the dirtiest, nastiest mouth. Like, she would make a sailor say, like, can you please, just, please, please. Like, there are other sailors around, can you please? Like, she is, she is, she is a hot mess, right? And I never thought in my wildest dreams. Like, I've, I've prayed for her to be healed. Um, I've prayed, you know, for um, that God would meet her needs when she called and, and she was going through something that my mom told me and I would pray. I never, I, never, I never even thought to pray that God would enter into her life, that God would come into her heart, that she would give her life to Jesus. I never prayed that. And then like about two years ago, my mom called me to say, guess what, your aunt, she gave her life to Christ. And I, I felt terrible. Like I was, I rejoiced in the fact that she received Christ, but I felt terrible that like I never thought in a million years that she would accept Christ. I was like, I, don't even, I wouldn't even know the words to say to her. But like, who, who, who knew that that was gonna happen? And I felt terrible about that. And, and it's like, it's something that I pray for moving forward, like there are people like, that we work with, like have we excluded them from the gospel? Have we already decided in our infinite wisdom, because you know, we know, we, we have already seen time Right? We know all people's lives in their totality from the beginning to the end. And because in our infinite wisdom, we have already said, these people will not receive Christ. So I am not going to minister to them. I am not going to allow them to receive what God has given me freely as a gift. Right? Nothing that I earned. Right? That's what the scripture said. It's not of works. You didn't, you didn't do anything. You ain't that special. Right? God wanted to do something in you, and he wanted to be what's special in and through you. Right? And, and, and it doesn't matter. Like God, has, God said he prepared these works in advance for you to do, which means that he, he knew you. Right? He knew you before he formed you. He knew the works that he had for you. Now, here's the thing. Like God made you. He gave you talents and abilities. All of us have different abilities. All of us have different talents. Why would God expect all of us he can expect all of us to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. That much we know is corporate, but why would he expect us all to do that in the same way and give us all different gifts and make us all very different, right? Like God has given us gifts, so we also don't have the right to, to, to disqualify ourselves. We also don't have the right to say, I can't do that, that's not my thing, 
Like that's not, that's not something I'm built for. That's not, you know, God didn't really make me that way. I enjoy my relationship with Christ, but like that's about it. Like, you know, this is not like, you know, salvation is not like a, like a, like a McDonald's menu, right? Like you can't just like, you can't just order a couple of things. Like I'll receive the grace, but all that, that, that call to, to, you know, the, the commission, no, 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 I'll, I'll leave that out. Just give me, like, grace, give me mercy, but the commission, no, that's not the part of, 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 the, of the transaction that I want. We don't have that right. Like, it's not a value menu that we get to pick and choose. So the mandate is on all of us. So why would God give you something and, he didn't, and, and would not also give you the power to do what he's called you to do? And all of us are going to do it different. All of us are not going to be the same because we're all ministering to different people. We're all coming into contact with different people. But he's given us all the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be effective for Christ. And we have to understand that as, as, as we move in the things of God. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, uh, uh, God rejoices over one sinner who repents. He says that in Luke. He rejoices over one sinner who repents. So am I supposed to get, like, are you supposed to get intimidated because, like, uh, 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 DJ Ben like ministers to like thousands of, of young people and he does altar calls and hundreds and hundreds of kids come and receive Christ. That's amazing. But you don't think God rejoices over the people that you minister to? The, the bus driver, the mailman, the person at Trader Joe's, whoever, you know, um, these people, God is rejoicing over those people, right? It's not like God is going to say, Ben, like hold up guys, hold, wait, wait, Ben. VIP right here. VIP. Tell them how many kids. Tell them how many kids. You see that, y'all? What y'all been doing? Thousands of kids. Show me in the scripture where it says that. It doesn't say that. So, you, you, you know, you have to be responsible for what God puts in front of you and, and move in obedience in those things. And don't get worried about Ben's ministry. Yes, Ben has an awesome ministry. Yes, he's an awesome teacher. Yes, he's all that in a bag of chips. Yes, he's amazing. But God has called you to do amazing things as well. And he's called me to do amazing things as well, right? And they may not all look the same, but that's what God has called us to. And we, we, we want to walk in those things. You know, it's interesting, um, um, Alan Kraft, a pastor, he wrote, he, he, he writes a couple of books, but there's an interesting thing that he says about like churches and communities and what they do. And, and he, he kind of, uh, he made a distinction between two, two uh, church approaches. And one he calls the fortress approach. And he says, in this approach, the church asks people to remove themselves from the world so that they can be pure. Alan says, the world is viewed as being bad and evil, and we were to have nothing to do with it. What this often looks like is a diligent effort to protect ourselves as we huddle in our, in our Christian circles, praying for the lost, but never engaging them in any meaningful relationships. And whenever we do engage in conversations, we directly or indirectly communicate the need for them to get their life straightened out or else. In order for anyone to become a Christian, they have to make a huge cultural leap and somehow come to us. The force approach, in this approach, the church doesn't remove itself, but it tries to have an impact through focus on political power and influence. We show up in a force at a school board meeting, mobilize our church for senators. It doesn't take much to get our blood pumping on issues. We need to be careful that in doing something like that, we don't lose the gospel in the midst of it. Then he talks about the fragrance approach. He says, you know, uh, in 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, he says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among who are being saved and, who, and those who are perishing. Alan explains a fragrance or perfume 
does nothing when it's holed up in a bottle, but when unleashed, it begins to have an impact, but not in a forceful way, as in a much more subversive way. Jesus gave an example of this kind of outreach. He said in Matthew 13, 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his eld. Though it must be the smallest of the seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of, of our until it worked through the dough. Alan explains, notice how the kingdom of God advances. It is not obvious initially, but it penetrates and impacts. This is how the gospel moved forward, not by force, but by penetrating our society with the same tools that Jesus used in his ministry on earth, grace and truth. And so I think that that's really relevant for us when we think about our church, we think about how we move forward. You know, are we a fortress type of church, you know, where the expectation is that people are gonna come to us, you know, or are we like this fragrance church? Are we gonna go out and be able to be like this, uh, uh, allow ourselves to, to exude this salt and light and grace that God is expecting us to do. I wanna just say really quickly, um, in terms of how we get better at serving the needs of our community. You know, I think about my church. My church uh, is like now, this Easter, we just celebrated our eighth year. And before, before we started our church eight years ago, um, uh, our, the original church that we were a part of was on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. And it was, it was a different community, right? There was different needs. And I remember when we started our church, we didn't even have a, a home yet. We were constantly a church on the go. We met, at different, we met at different school buildings. We met in school auditoriums. And then we finally like, moved into our home um, on 125th Street uh, and, and 3rd Avenue. And if anybody knows um, that community, you know it's ravaged with um, people struggling with um, HIV, homelessness, um, and a lot of mental health, a lot of mental illness. Um, in that community, really on like 125th Street in Lexington, it, it, it's just like, it looks like a wasteland. Like it looks like, it, it does look like there's something apocalyptic that looks on 125th Street. Just people who have been absolutely devastated by life. And we moved into this community and we, that was not the community that we had served before. And we, you know, we quickly realized that we couldn't be the church that just kind of like we just kind of landed there and we said, you know, we can't just like invite all of our congregation in and just continue to have church when there are some glaring needs in our community. And so we, ha we, we began to like serve the community. We, we started praying and we got involved, like literally, like I don't want to make this like, we, we started attending the community board meetings. We started meeting with the local um, police department. We started talking to other clergy. We started to understand what the needs were. We talked to the local schools. We started to understand what the needs were in that community. We got a better understanding of where people were, how, thing, how people were struggling. We understood how gentrification was forcing a lot of families out of the community. We understood how, um, um, how there was like these uh, methadone clinics uh, and how people were really uh, uh, congregating in that one area because of the methadone clinics and the mental illness clinics that they put like across the street from one another. And so we really started to make an, intent, uh, uh, an intentional effort to get to know what was happening in our community. And so the first thing I, I wanna say is, you know, as you begin to serve, you think about serving your community, you gotta start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, both as a church and as individuals in your walk. 
you start you got to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable like it's not always going to be comfortable sharing your faith you know as as the guys alluded to you know rejection is going to be a part of it but even as your church family right like there's going to when when we started opening our doors we noticed that there were a lot of people who had physical needs right there were people who needed literally clothes there were people who were walking up the block from us who didn't have shoes on they were barefoot in the middle of winter Right? And so we started like clothing drives, we started food drives, and we just opened the doors of our church. And what we realized is that people just began to see us as a resource. So people would just walk in at any given time. And people would walk in and, and they, were meant to, they had like mental illness issues. They would walk in during service, right? And so like we never experienced that before. We were an Upper West Side church. Like the mandate was like worship and then brunch. Right? That was it, worship and brunch, that was it. Right? But here we were like in a, in a very different context, in a very different landscape, and what was our mandate? And so one of the things, we had to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. We knew some people would walk in in our church in the middle of service, no shoes on, like, you know, uh, uh, not really dressed right, like just in a lot of need. And like we started training our, 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 our ushers and our security on like how to like literally like engage people and understand what the needs are. And that might, that might not necessarily be the needs of this church, but it's important for you to be intentional about understanding what are the needs of this church, right? What, what are the needs, you know? And is, is your church, in a related note, is your church open? Do people feel like they can come as they are here? Right. Like is, is there is, is are there certain requirements that people have to navigate to try to make it here? Or if 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 they're like, can people just come? Can people just come and exist? Like, well, how are people embraced when they're here? You know, people used to come into our church and, you know, we wanted to just love on folks. And it wasn't a place where, you know, some people would come in and ask for money. Some people would come in and ask for food. But our mandate was just to love on people. And we made that we made that absolutely clear. Like, we had to love, and listen, there were some people who, like, try to get over. We had to tell people no sometimes, right? And I had, I received a couple of threats sometimes. Like, it got real. But, like, I knew that our mandate was always love. And I knew, I was like, Lord, I know that you're going to protect us here. I know that our mandate is to love, and I know that you are going to protect us here. You know, uh, uh, we had, we used to have, when we were on the Upper West Side, on Halloween night, we used to have Hallelujah night. And I know a lot of churches do stuff on Halloween night. Hallelujah night is not original to our church. But it was always like a church thing, right? It was always like our kids would come out, our deacon, our families, all the people. And we would come out, we would celebrate, we'd have games, and we'd have like Bible trivia, and we would have like toys and fun giveaways and things like that. And so it gave people a safe place on Halloween night to get off the street, not doing anything dumb and stupid, and come in to have a cool night. And sometimes our kids would bring their friends, and we would minister to them, and we, you know, we would, we would um, preach the gospel. And we came to this new space, and we were like, we're going we're gonna to do Hallelujah night. But like we're we're it's not going to be like this this closed thing. We're going to open this this thing up. And so you're talking about from usually like getting like 50 kids to 60 kids. We went to the community board and we said we want to do this thing. We're going to have giveaways. We had like 300 people show up, and I was <laughs> I was nervous. Right? We had we'd never had that many people like in our space before. And some people were like. Um, I want candy, give me this, or you're giving out t-shirts, give me that. And like, we were just trying to operate in love. But let me tell you, like, we have families now, like there are people who are serving in our church who just brought their kids on Hallelujah night, right? But they came into the building, and first of all, like our building was like an old factory. It didn't look like a church, right? And so people felt like, all right, I don't feel, there's always this thing like, oh, I'm not gonna come to church. I feel like I'm gonna burst into flames. 
all right, like, I don't know where you got that from, but okay. So we would always like try to like take down the walls of feeling like you could come in and have space here. And so people came in and people were a part of Hallelujah Night. And people, families, like whole families were giving their lives to the Lord. It was really powerful. And we have some of my closest friends now gave their lives to the Lord. Like when we opened the doors of our church, not just for service, but, you know, uh, just because we wanted to try to meet the needs in the community. And so if, if, I think you really think about how can you meet the needs of your community like that. But I do think one of the, the number one things, and I don't want to take you too long because I think we can like go into a panel and, and talk more and answer your questions, but you got to be willing, you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Like that's, that's absolutely going to be a, a, a big piece of the work. Like your uncomfort does not negate the truth of the word of God, right? And so in your uncomfort, you have a choice. You can say, I'm either going to stop so that I can like, like be comfortable again, or I can continue to go because I'm trusting in the word of God and what it says and what the mandate is on my life. And so that's always gonna be a choice for us as we continue to push forward in this work. But y'all got work to do, I got work to do, right? And we wanna continue to do this because guess what? Daddy's coming home, right? <laughs> And when he pulls into the driveway, I think we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for this awesome time, Lord God, with this awesome church, this, these, these amazing believers, Lord God. And I know that you have a, a, a purpose and a plan for every single one of our lives. And Lord God, I know, Lord God, that you can do amazing things in and through us, Lord. So I pray that we wouldn't leave here, Lord, with a, with a sense of guilt or shame or, 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 or kind of like dutiful obligation, but with excitement, Lord God, with a, a feeling, a sense of, of invigoration, Lord, that we really want to live out this race for you, God, that we want to live out this life with purpose and with intent, Lord God, to serve you, Lord. So we thank you for this time together, Lord. I continue to lift up uh, 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 Pastor Eugene, Lord God. Would you continue to lead him, Lord, as he leads this flock? Lord God, keep your hand on him, Lord God. Continue to focus him, Lord God. We thank you for this opportunity together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.